Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Tools, Talents, and Techniques podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Sutton. Today, we are joined by Mr. Scott Brooks, he's a published author, and he's the director of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. The Global Sport Institute is where diverse disciplines converge for examination of critical issues that impact the world of sports, and they bridge the gap between academic research and real-life implications. GSI studies sports and global challenges, they educate sports stakeholders, future workforce, and they encourage sports entrepreneurship and innovation through thought leadership, outreach, educational programs, and partnerships. And so through this conversation, Scott brings a wealth of knowledge and his story and his journey and his expertise in the world of sports and sociology. He has a bachelor's degree from Cal Berkeley and a PhD from University of Pennsylvania. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. It was a blast and you really get to see as we explore the intersection of sports, research, and social impact. So here he is, Mr. Scott Brooks. And here we are with Mr. Scott Brooks. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Happy to be here. Well, there's this is exciting for me for many reasons. I'm really interested in your journey and, and how you how you came to do the work that you do. But it's it's deeper than that for me because actually what you're actually working on has been something that's on my mind, you know, ever since I was a child and ever since, you know, playing basketball in Philadelphia and being into sports. So I'm really interested in that. Uh, but to start, could you just tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and your role at the company? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm a 20-year professor, actually, this fall. I'll be a 20-year sociology professor. And, you know, I, I came to this really with a full interest in being a sports sociologist. And that position doesn't really exist in many places uh, as an applied position actually out there in the field. And so, what I basically have had to do is piece together, due to, you know, based on my mentors, some of my role models, uh, how to have the career that I that I have. And so that's a researcher, you know, that's a professor. So that means I've got to publish, um, you know, publish on a very regular schedule it means I'm teaching classes. And then the the dream gig, the gig that I have is running the Global Sport Institute here at Arizona State. And you know, for those of us who had any hoop dreams, and for me, I use that broadly. So I just mean any sport dreams to be college player, to be a professional. Um, I feel like I've been able to to carry that hoop dream into my my job, right? So I look at at my job as being a career in sport. That's what I'm a researcher in that space. I get to go out and speak to different groups and organizations and consult. And in my very particular research, which even ties us closer, Dustin, is, you know, everything for me started studying the Sunny Hill League in Philadelphia. And it is really about understanding athlete experiences uh, and wanting to improve them. Um, and that's always been my call in particular. My own personal struggles with my high school coach that led me to, to quitting is what I'm most passionate about. And that's how do I help athletes, particularly young athletes, have the best sporting experience they can have. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's the dream gig. That's what I'm, I'm continuing to work on. And the Institute is, the, is a, a place, a space for me to be able to do that. Congratulations. To hear Thank somebody you. say the, the dream gig, and that's what I'm doing. You said, first of all, you said a few things in there that all tie together in my mind and you having the dream gig. And then you also having to piece it together. There was no path in front of you. It's just something that you, and you touched on two things. One, your high school situation with your coach and then coming to study. Can you, can you bridge that gap? Like what was that experience yeah. in high school and what led you to come to Philadelphia to study the Sudden Hill League? Yeah, so it, it, I wish it were a nice, easy, straightforward path. It wasn't. Um, it really was. Yeah, you know, I, I was born in the Middle East. I was born in Beirut, Lebanon. 
um, and then kind of split my time between the States and, and the Middle East until I, I went to college. And so I say that to say formative years, fourth grade to eighth grade as an athlete, right? That's really kind of primes you for you going into high school. I was in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And so while it was an amazing global experience, and it was sport-wise as well, soccer, the big sport, you know, I'm there with folks from all over the world. It doesn't put you in a good position to come back to Oakland, California, and then become a basketball star, right? It's not the Shaq was in Germany on a military base. My dad worked for the airlines, right? So I didn't have built-in high competition, playing with men. I didn't have that kind of experience. I was tall enough, right? I was six feet and a half as a freshman. I was athletic enough. I, you know, I could dunk the basketball at six feet and a half as a, as a freshman, but I was this raw talent. And like many, I thought I was better than I was. And as I go through my high school, which a very prominent basketball high school in Northern California in the Bay Area, Bishop O'Dowd, our coach was one of the winningest uh, California coaches in the history of the state. Um, but I go through that process and I'm imagining I'm just going to get to graduating senior year and the scholarships will come. I don't know any different, right? I just think that's how it works. And, and the frustration when I made a big leap, the connection with my coach wasn't, wasn't good at all. Our coach was very much old school. You guys are all paints on my palette, he would say. So you're all disposable. Mm. And when you talk that way to kids, right, that's not a good feeling, right? It, it was He was over on the team. But then you take somebody like me who's analytical. And when I started to realize that things didn't line up, and, you know, I'm looking and thinking I'm going to get greater opportunities, more playing time because I'm told work ethic. If you just work, if you just do these things. And I did those things that didn't see the changes then I start to analyze and say, so what else is going on? Because this isn't about my effort. I've done the things that they told me to do, and yet things aren't happening. And in that case, I started to realize that while the coach would say, here's a broad stroke, right? People are not to shoot. You're only supposed to take a layup. There were guys who could, and he had no words for them. And then there were others like myself who you shoot and you get in trouble. But even if you made it, Eyes were raised and you might be subbed out of the game, right? So once I realized that there was a double standard, you know, now that's working on me. And so I literally pulled together stats after I practice. I was fed up. He had continued to berate me senior year with my stats. And he got to the point where he said, I don't even know why you're on the team, right? Like you don't contribute anything. And wow. I knew, right? I know that the fact you're spending this energy says, you know why I'm on the team. There's just whatever is going on. But I went ahead and took a look at the stats and I went, let me try to understand why he has me on the team. I'm going to, I'm going to raise some real questions. And that was really my thought. Like, you know, this really pissed me hell off. So I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to come back to him with something and he's going to have to answer some questions. And what I did was in looking at the stats, I didn't just look at my own I looked for particular games. I had breakout games of 16 points, you know, and I had other kind of games. Most of the time I wasn't shooting the ball, wasn't taking shots, but there are certain games. So when I looked at those, they were all, we were in a predominantly white Catholic school, big money. Yeah, I'm there on, fellow, on scholarship kind of stuff and whatever. Um, and I go, huh, all my big games happen against the public school game teams. And in Oakland, that's all black schools. So then I went and looked at my teammates who also were in the same position as I was, middle status, as I call it. This is what I study now, right? My new book is about this middle status player. And I realized that all the black guys played a lot more minutes when we're playing public school teams and black teams. So now I come back to the coach who had always had this reputation. Black players were known to quit, be upset, really good guys you know, were lost to the fold. And he'd say they just have bad attitudes. And I'm now looking at this with data and I'm going, coach, you say certain things, but this doesn't suggest you don't need me. In fact, it says when you need me and when you need the other black guys. And he had no words. And then after that, I'm just now, I'm going to just study this to death to come back to him and try to embarrass him. But now you're hearing, I'm not focused on my sport. 
I'm not getting better. I'm a team captain. I'm sour, like all these bad things. And so I eventually quit because I realized I wasn't being my best self. I was now no longer trying to to play this game. I felt I was a terrible role model for the younger guys. And, and fortunately, I had my college, right? I knew where I was going. That was without a doubt. And so I knew I didn't actually need basketball. But yeah. that that breakup I see is the beginning of my adulthood. Like my dad had always said, you never quit anything. And I had to make that decision for myself. I make that decision. You know, I finish out the year, do really good in other activities I'm involved in. And Dustin, within two years, that coach is asking me to come and coach with him. So that tells you how wow. he felt about it, right? Like if I'm really that dude who just this terrible attitude and doesn't have it, why in the world would you come back and ask me to coach? And so I never let him resolve it because of my pettiness and being like, I'm too hurt by it. On the other end, I felt like I dealt with that for at least 15 years after. Like my relationship to basketball was forever changed. I forever felt like, I wasn't sure if I was really good enough or not. I, you know, I, I just got hurt in the game all the time, unless I played with friends and people that knew me because I, I just didn't, you know, the whole idea of I'd rather play street ball than formal ball, like all of that kind of stuff that comes in. I hated that experience so much. I was like, no, I'm not playing in any more teams. My cousins, best friends were playing leagues and I just didn't, I hated that team team setting because I knew that that was where all this pain was. Um, and so that's where you go. Yeah. I had a corporate gig thinking I want to go to law school, want to be a judge in college. And when it comes back to what do I want to do with my life? I knew I wanted to be in sport, like literally asking myself the questions, who do you want to impact? Where's your passion? Who do you want to be around on an everyday basis? And that brought me right back to sport. I saw my role model in Harry Edwards, who was a professor at Berkeley, where I attended graduate school. I mean, excuse me, where I attended uh, my undergrad. He was a fixture in the community, worked with the 49ers, the thinker behind the 68 Olympic protests, big time social justice. Like he's all of that. And I could see him and touch him. And I, I struck up a, a relationship with him. And the whole goal was to get to be his understudy, work with the Niners, you know, and be the sports sociologist. And it didn't play itself out that way. I've done a little bit of consulting in that space. I've been able to do it a lot as a basketball coach with young kids. But in many ways, I say to folks, I still haven't gotten to the, the other dream, right? That initial dream was to be working with professional college teams on a daily basis, helping team culture. I've done it for a year here and there. That's still the real kind of urging. But what I've also, what I've been able to do now is really focus in on that youth piece. How do I help impact youth in ways beyond the court? And that's, you know, that's something I didn't expect and see, but it's been a dream gig with the skills that I have and, and knowledge and information and, and passion. So long way, well, but like that's it. No, no, but hey, I, I think that's a that's a great start because, again, <laughs> all of these things that you're saying, and, and first of all, going to your coach with the data, uh, that's a very mature way to. So I was going to ask a, a, a question about if, in hindsight, now could you go back? Because again, sounds like you did it in a very mature manner with data. Hey, this is. A, Going back, what you know now, would you ha have handled it differently in any way? Not a regret, but I, I don't want to put that on your plate. But is there anything you would you would do differently? Absolutely, absolutely. And and there are some regrets in there. Um, my team, we were on a cycle where we were getting back to the state championships every other year. My senior year was a year that we were supposed to get back. We were tied for the longest win streak in the state that year. I quit little past halfway. We eventually lost to Brent Berry's De La Salle team in the North Coast. And Brent Berry's De La Salle team went on to win the state championship, right? So Rick Berry's son, Brent played in the league. He's uh, a GM, 
has some, I think he's a, he's the GM of their G league team for the Spurs. Right. But we lost to Brent and his, his younger brother drew. Um, and that, that's a regret that I, I really didn't take in. And this is where my research has led me. Literally my research is my life in different points. It does different things. It's partly my coaching life with my kids. It's, you know, coaching when I wasn't coaching my kids. And then it's been discovering and understanding my personal challenges and, you know, love Jones with sport. And so what I realize now is, and what, what I coach athletes to do is you got to come back to the team. Right. And that's a really tough thing, you know, and this AU environment when it's about individual achievements and accolades, it's such a shift to go back to a team concept that you started with as a kid. Some people will always have that team concept, but in many ways that actually keeps you down when everything is about the individual. What did you do? Who are you doing it to? But the team is the answer back. And I didn't have close relationships with my teammates. And so if I had had closer relationships, those bonds would have made it so that it was more about the team and my effort would have been for my teammates and not simply thinking of, is Scott going to get to a scholarship? I had a scholarship offer, still could have played D3 even after quitting, right? But I saw the possibilities of a big school or two that were asking about me in the summertime. And that whole shift, and it became just me focused on, was I going to get there? And the love would have been in the team. My team has this amazing opportunity. And if I go back there, and this is the way I advise athletes out of it, when you are able to make those deeper connections with your teammates and that culture piece of it, you will find your way back into something. It doesn't guarantee playing time at all. But I also have ideas of how it helps you in playing time. Like there are some very specific ways. So there, there. I'm going to add a couple things to to this, and I, and I think you will hopefully jive with this because one of the things when I when I when I stopped playing basketball in college, when I transferred schools and I started playing rugby, mm-hmm. the difference between Philadelphia basketball, where if you do something. You know, it was all about the coach telling you what to do. And I had I had good relationships with my teammates for the most part. But then going to play rugby, the coach was a good guy, but it we weren't playing for him. We were playing for each other. Like, we enjoyed spending time with each other. This is exactly what you're saying. And the difference in the camaraderie of our team, we had so much fun. Well, we played rugby for one part. Um but then we had so much fun and we were playing for each other and we wanted, we didn't need somebody yelling at us and barking at us. Cause this and this, and you're this and that it's, we just wanted to go out and play and have fun. So it gave me that love back of sport because in basketball, my knees hurt, <laughs> you know, I was tired of people yelling at me and do this and do that. So, so that was, that was, I, I hear you on that, but here's a thing that I really want to share with you. When I was coaching basketball in San Diego, and this is how it came. I don't want to say full circle, but it came back around. Uh, when I moved out to San Diego, it was really hard for me to figure out what I want to do for my career. And one of the things that I realized is like, you have to give back, do the things that you know, and try to give back to society in some way or the community. And one of those things was I know basketball. So I started coaching basketball at a local high school as an assistant coach. And I still think about this all day. One of the the head coach one day, the the practice was getting kind of loose. So this is the the varsity boys basketball. The the, the practice was getting kind of loose, and the coach brought everybody together in the circle. Instead of in Philadelphia, it's like get on the line, run. You know, he said, hey, "Everybody come here." So everybody came in the half court, and he said, "Listen, your your family and your friends are going to come to watch you play Friday night." They could be doing anything. They can go out to dinner. They can go out to a movie. They can go, you know, just watch TV. But they're coming to watch you perform. He's like, you got to know your lines. You got to know where you're at on the court. You got to know. Otherwise, you're wasting their time. They're coming to support you. And then he said, all right, guys, let's get back at it. And they went back to practice. And it was like a switch got flipped. And it was that moment for me that I realized, oh, there's another way to do this. 
there's another way to lead. There's another way to coach. And I, I carried that. I carry that with me to this day in, in almost all aspects of my life. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I think you nailed it. And it's, it's one of the amazing and, and the reasons that, you know, I, at, at the heart of it for me and, and you, we know how important sports are to people. We know that they really can change your life in these ways. They can really prepare you and give you certain things. I think the, the other important thing that you brought out is that I continue to push now is it wasn't simply by being the athlete. And that's, that's the limitation, right? For many kids, they're raised in this idea. We're all raised to be an athlete, boys in particular, right? You're, you're going to be an athlete. Again, that focus becomes often very individualized. And then when you're done, it's like it's done. It's sports giving you all that it's given you. And I go, no, it hasn't given you all that it can give you. It, it's got yeah. plenty more to give you. And you don't have to be the athlete. You're taking on coaching. I'll bet there's so many other levels of basketball that you started to understand just by being in that other seat, right? So as you brought in, like, you had been around teams all your life, right? And yet you're going, it happened here, right? You had mm -hmm. rugby. You had this alternate. So you got to see that in rugby, there's really this team, because the Philly is competitive. It's cutthroat. And so, I mean, that's one of the things about the, the this AAU and pay-for-play in this elite and I think basketball and then you go to soccer and our and ours, you know, soccer and football. The only reason I bring up soccer is because there's more kids even, right? Boys and girls and so on. And our levels are so competitive that there's as much competition or there's more competition within a team than between teams. Like, you know, wow. I'm trying to I'm trying to make playing time. I'm trying to get on the field. That's every day at practice. That's, you know, going home. Your parents are asking you, how's it going? And you're thinking about who's playing ahead of you, right? If you're not that star. So we're competing against each other every single day. And then you go into a game and whether you play or not, if you don't get to play, there is no competition really going on. You're just sitting there. But at practice, you're eyeing this. And so, you know, to see this and understand it and go, how do we manage teams when we're immediately having them go at each other at a competitive level every day, and they know it's a zero-sum game. For me to play, you can't play. <laughs> and think of how that what that does to relationships. I hear the parents who become haters of other kids for no reason, right? They clap louder for some kids, but not other kids. You know, all, and then you get the star treatment. That's its own other thing. But parents can't get along. Kids can't fully get along or trust. It's a special relationship when the kids are friends and are tight, even though they're competing for the same position. And it's a lot like that rugby, right? I, I look at relays like when you see how fast certain people run, they don't run that fast by themselves. But they're excellent in a relay because the group connection is real, right? Like that, that extra collective momentum, that desire to run for somebody else, that accountability drives you to go harder. When you're on that rugby team and you all are clicking, like you said, you don't need somebody else really even guiding you. Your connections become where you, you know, you're on a string and you understand. And that's fun too, when you get to that and you're playing for your teammates, the, you know, Denver Nuggets last night, all you heard in their celebration was teammate, 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 teammate. And when you look at Jokic, you know that that's all he cares about. Like, it's not about how pretty it is. He loves to pass. So you can see that culture of I play for my teammate. And that's an, a powerful thing. And you get it as an athlete. You got it as a coach because now you respect that coach. You want to take on that. Those are the power of sport, you know, those things. Um, and we get it not just by being an athlete. And that's why my big push is, how do we get kids to get the most out of sport earlier? We do it by introducing them to these other opportunities in sport, right? So I want kids to learn as early as possible. There's jobs like general managers. There's jobs like owners. There's jobs like doing, you know, the analytics. There's jobs so that we can have a hoop dream and do all these other things. And that way, sport doesn't just drop or stop. Our physical fitness doesn't have to just drop when we're no longer on a team. We have a bigger vision. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm hoping to do. Well, 
how and so how long after you started doing your research did it did it formulate exactly like this this point this mission of how you're doing that is that something that gradually came about over time or did you instantly see that as you're first studying it in graduate school so i i saw it at the sunny hill league what i saw at mm. the sunny hill league that clicked there was a couple of things and it linked my academic with being there and coaching I can you I, can you can you can you tell our listeners about what the Sunny Hill League is? Yeah, so the Sunny Hill League started off as it was a spinoff from a Baker League. The Baker League was a semi-pro kind of well, it was a semi-pro and pros would come together in the summers in Philly, and this goes back to '68. And so the origins, you have these pro guys coming in. They come in from New York. They come in from Philly. You know, a Will Chamberlain is playing in there. Um, you're talking about an Earl, the Pearl Monroe, uh, Kobe's dad, Jellybean, Joe Bryant. They're playing in this summer league. And then at a certain point, these older guys said, hey, we need to be looking out for our high schoolers because they were realizing kids were being recruited and maybe they weren't being recruited to the best places. They needed advice. So they moved to 11th to 12th grade, create a high school league. Then they moved down to 9th to 10th. Then they do a college league. This league was the longest continuously run summer league in the country because record leagues had stopped. Every men's player that plays in the NBA and you go back, I say the modern era. Um, so I'll say probably let's, let's start in 90 in 90. If they come out of Philly, they played in that league. So Dustin played in that league. I coached against Kyle Lowry played in that league. The Morris twins played in that league. I coached against them at that time, you know, but you can go down a ladder. Rasheed Wallace, a Kobe Bryant, they all played in the Sunny Hill League. And so even though kids would be playing elsewhere before the AAU took over, really, in 2000 in Philly, you still had the Sunny Hill League was the league you had to play in in the city. This is where it was determined. Were you the truth? Were you real? Or you not real? Whether you're Maurice Rice and you break Wilt Chamberlain's scoring record, although you're maybe six feet, maybe six one, and you break Wilt's scoring record, you got to play in the Sunny Hill League. You go off and do AAU, but you got to come back for the championship. <laughs> Guys, Gerald Henderson, Wayne Ellington, they're coming back to play in the summer league to, you know, at the college level. So guys would just keep coming back because this was it. We played in Temple's old gym. You know, you're, you're seeing the Hall of Fame, Wall of Fame, people around the city, scores are reported every day in in the daily news. Like this is it. This was it. The Sunny Hill yeah. League was everything. And people would just coaches came to, and were still scouting in the 2000s, this summer league. They're coming to scout and get guys. It's where deals happen at times. Like so a kid is figuring out, do I transfer? Do I go pro? They come back to the league. And they're the old heads who are there to help consult them. So, you know, just an amazing league. And what I've thought truthfully, Dustin, was while I'm in the midst of it and going to practice, I just went, it would be amazing. Like, imagine if we had a same league kind of setup. Kids are coming every day. There's some way in which there's some showcase or, you know, like a uh, any a public event that does like a game gives them recognition. They've got to wear, you know, something ritualistic so that there's pride around it. And I went, if there was a league that was a built around careers for our kids, like an engineering league. So I just started going, my father-in-law's an engineer. And I'm like, he would love to come in and, and, and teach young kids how to be an engineer. And I'm like, I know I can't just start that and it would work. I don't see kids knowing what to do with that and how do we do it. And so my idea, Careers in Sport Academy, grew from that that small notion to then I'm teaching and it's like 2007 and eight. One of my oldest buddies, the one kind of old buddy I had on my high school basketball team is the head trainer for the Clippers. Shout out to Jason Powell. Been there for over 20 years. And JP and I talked and we said, let's go back to Oakland and work with kids and you show them what it means to be a trainer. I show them what it means to be a sports researcher and let's see if we can't like spark some new ideas and hopes for these kids in West Oakland and so on. And now I'm just continuing to build it. And with the Institute, I'm now going to have an opportunity to create curriculum that I can share to high schools 
let kids start to look at this career awareness like you would have in the Sunny Hill League, that career awareness. Like I want them to become aware of the careers, start getting them thinking about sports innovation and entrepreneurship. You know, we talk about uh, treating yourself as a venture for name, image, and likeness, but all of these kids can be influencers. So you don't have to be an athlete, but I now want to start literally creating this kind of concept that moves kids into thinking about sports careers very early, gives them opportunities to, to, to do some fun things through it. And then hopefully, even if like me, you never get to that actual, the other dream job, I've landed on the moon. I'm very happy if I don't get to stay in the best places or whatever. I am living a dream. And that's what I, my hope is. Let's let's take full advantage of sport. Let's get all we can out of that pig. Well, th- this is fantastic. And I actually didn't know the depth of, of what you're th- – I think that's one of the great things about having these conversations yeah. that I get to learn more. But And so first of all, that, that concept is fantastic. And, and I want to – so for commercial real estate, one of the things that I've realized that once I got into the industry, it was, I was opened up to a whole different world. I looked behind the curtain and I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much here. And we talk about it all the time where you just see, you know, the brokers or the people that own the real estate, but the, the mechanisms behind all of that, whether it's tax, title, insurance, HR, you know, working municipalities, HVAC, uh, you, know, you know, roofing, all the vendors, all the trades. There is so much there, but you wouldn't know unless somebody showed you. Yeah. And I feel like in sports, yeah, and this is this is exactly what you're saying, and I'm trying repeating it in a, in a way that that parallels what what I've been experiencing. Is that you see the NBA, right? You, you see the, the the high flying, you see the, the shoot, you see the in NFL, you see the touchdowns, you see all the flashy things on TV. But how does it actually work? And I feel like you are helping bridge that and show that, yeah, oh yeah, this is this is how that works, and these are the people that actually make that happen. And so it's about exposure. Yes, it's about exposure. Yep, yep. I mean, I I start with a website when I when I've got you know a group of, of kids together, my first thing is let's just take a look at a website of a professional club. And then I just go, so who do you think, what's the job behind this? So things like, okay, you see the, the arena chart, who figures out what the price should be per seat? Hmm. What comes into play as they're trying to figure that out? Okay. Restaurants. How do we decide which restaurants are they? Is that literally Chick-fil-A and so on? Or how are they run? You start talking to them about these things. What does a commissioner do? How is an, what is an owner? How does an owner get their money? How has this changed over time? How does it change when you go across sports? You know, so I, yeah, I just want them to see, as you said, right? We're, we're just lifting the veil. We're just going, let's go behind the scenes because when you have this interest and this passion, you don't have to leave. And the industry, youth sport is nearing 20 billion. And you have, you know, football is over 24 billion and basketball is 20 something billion. You've got NASCAR that is now starting to take off in new ways. You have diversity that's going on. So it's open to more kids of color and there's these opportunities, but they don't know that there are these opportunities. Like NASCAR is one of the bigger helpers right now in terms of diversity. If you're a young person, you know, the first black woman in a pit crew happened not, not too long ago. Now you have a black woman who actually runs the Phoenix Speedway, right? So you've got all of these changes. You know, we've, we've got relationships with the Arizona Coyotes. They have an internship program with the HBCUs. And so you're getting, if everybody is only thinking narrowly, they're only thinking the big three sports, not a rugby, not international and global sports, we're not doing them justice. And as America, we're nearing the 28 games. We've got the men's world cup coming. We're talking about perhaps having the women's world cup as well. You know, Las Vegas has now turned the corner. They've got my, my Raiders. They're now going to have the A's. They, their golden Knights are in the playoffs in hockey and they've won a championship. Their aces have won a championship, you know, it, it had the Pac-12 basketball championships. It was about to start moving to Pac-12 football. Vegas is a global sports city. All the gambling and betting, now that that's legal. 
You got L.A. prepared for the 28 games, and they'll be the first Olympic site not to have to build anything new. We've got all of this sport coming. Messi just signed with with Miami in Major League Soccer. Yeah, women's wild, basketball, wild. W- women's softball, right? Softball is now they're looking at the viewership. I mean, I'm going sports is booming, and most of us are only looking at the field. We're only looking at the court, and I'm going, no, 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 no. You got to understand, F1 was in Vegas just two years ago. Yo, F1 is trying to figure out this American market. Apple TV has a sports division. Amazon Prime has a sports division. This is the new, this is the golden age of sport, innovation and all of the stuff that's going on. And I, yeah, I just want to expose kids to understand it's beyond the sneakers and who won, who won the game or not. This is, you got a real opportunity when you and I were growing up. I mean, I, I'm older and I remember before Nike was really big, but I look at it now and go, you know, that would have been the biggest dream for me. Could I work for a sneaker company? Now I'm telling people you can go and work, you know, for Manchester United. You can now, there's so many other kind of gigs to do. It's so far beyond. And it is, there's a curtain that has to be lifted. So what, what's the, what's the primary, uh, I won't say the low, the low hanging fruit. Like what is it that you're currently working on and getting in front of these programs? Are you, yeah. are you working with specific uh, types of organizations to get in front of them to build your curriculum? Yeah. So, well, you know, the great thing about being at a university is we, we get to build it. We've got subject matter experts. We don't always have the applied stuff, but that's where my career has bridged these two. So going from coaching in the Sunny Hill League and that being my dissertation, that being my first book. Now, during the pandemic, we started a coaches Zoom, me and one of the Philly coaches that were linked through the Sunny Hill League. The old head I coached with was his coach. That old head, Claude Gross, passed away, but he considered us two of his like three sons that were not as biological. And so we started a coaches Zoom. We're in our over 200 coaches Zooms. We do it every Sunday, used to be twice a week during the pandemic. It includes coaches like Bruiser Flynn, of course, a Philly legend, coached at UMass, won won some really big games there. He's now an assistant at Kentucky under Calipari. You know, Don Staley, a Philly girl, is a part of our network. Uh, Pooh Allen, Jerome Pooh Allen, who, you know, big time Philly player, coached at Penn, coached as an assistant at the Celtics, recently was just an assistant with the Pistons. I mean, we have this wonderful, amazing cast and we're doing this coaches Zoom 12 inches over. It's a professional development platform to help coaches, assistant coaches get 12 inches over to head coach. And so we've had Carol Lawson was a part of our early Zoom call and she moved from being an assistant with the Celtics to head women's coach at Duke. You know, so when you go, I'm, I'm working with with coaches because I'm not coaching as much that keeps me in the know of what's going on. That leads me to stuff like I've, you know, consulted for the U S Olympic and Paralympic committee. I was on the special committee that lifted the ban that they used to have for any social justice protests for the last Olympics. That was like a year and a half, two young, two year commitment doing that. I've consulted with the NCAA. I've consulted with USA basketball, Adidas, And so, yeah, I I work personally and consult in those areas. The Institute, we run a class for the NBA's uh, G League, Team Ignite. Those are the kids that decided not to go to college. They are international as well as domestic. Jalen Green was one of the first picks out of that. Jonathan Kaminga with the Warriors. You then, we've had several others, guys that are in the league now from Australia and, and so on. And this year, Scoot Henderson predicted to be the number two or three pick out of Team Ignite. We've run a Essentials of Sports business colon basketball, where we talk to them about revenue streams. We talk to them about opportunities to leverage their platform. Things like one kid has a culinary degree from France, right? He's one of the, you know, wonderful, you know, players who's immigrated from Africa, his family, and he has this, this culinary degree, and I say, CD, do you realize in your contract when you get drafted, you could ask the franchise to allow you to beta test your culinary, de- you know, some some type of food, some kind of restaurant concept. They could beta test that. This is a part of us th- having him think about being an entrepreneur, right? 
they could beta test this. And he's like, really? I was like, of course they can't, man. This is just stuff you've got to take a hold of. you got to think about it. And so, you know, we're working with, with athletes in that way. Everything is about their transition. How do we help them transition out of their elite playing experience into their next phase? We know that's a critical issue. We talk about their, their, their opportunity to be this entrepreneur. If you think you want to run a business, this gives you a glance at that. Um, we then are working with kids. As I said, that's where the real curriculum development is. And we'll have a platform to, to showcase this. And then we also want to take care of coaches, right? Because back to my whole dream of this, it's you have a workforce that has to support the athlete experience. So you get the kids and you get those who are currently in sport. Coaches we know matter. That's my personal research. And so looking at trauma-informed coaching, how can we help add to that information, raise the awareness? This helps us in mental health. It helps us so that kids have less bad experiences. And so that's it. The cradle to the grave. Can we get the young ones? Can we get the athletes as they're going through their careers? And can we get those folks that are already working in sport? Can we help to continue to build you know, their professional development so they're best prepared to take care of these athletes and have them who are our greatest platform, right? LeBron and Serena Williams, you know, Megan Rapinoe, like they're our greatest platform for sport to be this amazing power. We want to be, you know, in, in the business of making that fertile ground so that they can help these athletes. You know, I wonder, well, let's, I want to pin a second about, about making this impact, especially with, with people once they're transitioning. I want to make sure we come back to that. But when you were mentioning some of these coaches in Philly, I want to drop a name on you because um, there's a coach named Ashley Howard. I haven't spoken to him in years, but he coaches, I believe, at LaSalle now. He coached under uh, for Villanova for a while when they were winning all their championships, but he's one of those Philly legacy guys that, uh, you know, growing up, he always impressed me with how he carried himself and how he under came from a basketball family. You know, his father was a player and his uncle was a was a player, and they're they're all they all coached, and he seemed to understand the game at a different level. Uh, so to see him carry that forward and be successful as a coach is not. Not surprising at all, but I don't know if he's not in that in that uh, the roundtable that you have. I would I'd highly suggest you reach out to him. He's just a fantastic coach, a fantastic person. Absolutely, and Mo is def uh, Ash is definitely um, in our group. You know, being there with Brew, you know, Brew he played for Brew and Jeff Arnold, who's my co-host. He's my long-term friend. He played for them at Drexel, so he's okay. been there. All right, good, His good. dad has been on the call. Mo Howard, as you said. Mo played, uh, had a brief stint, or not a brief stint, he had a stint in the in the NBA, big-time player at Maryland. Mo, and Ash's story is, is it, it, again, it's the story of life after playing because he had a heart condition and was forced to stop when yeah. he was there at Drexel. And his coaches, Brew and Jeff Arnold, they, you know, there's a famous, if you ever get to talk, and I can put you in touch with, with Ash if you if you're interested. Yeah, please do. It's been years. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely put you in touch with him. I, I saw him not too long ago. He's actually not with LaSalle. So LaSalle, he got let go of LaSalle in like 22. He then was working for the Villanova Collective. But mm -hmm. now he's got a new gig. He's he's coaching somewhere else. I have to pull it up. but that And it's relatively new information. But he's going to be back coaching, which is what he, you know, he loves to, yeah. to well, coach. Well, like, like I said, I mean, just he – it's it's in his it's in his blood it's in his dna it's his personality great guy so yeah I'd yes. love put, put me in touch with him please i definitely um so but no okay so also i want to say this. one of one of my colleagues or a person that's in in the network that i'm in it runs a commercial real estate investment fund he was this, this gentleman played in the in the nba for i want to say seven or eight years and i asked him we were at a conference and we we're talking about some other things and i said you know how long had you been interested in real estate you know, he's, you know, for a long time, high school, college, and continue to, to be interested when he was in the NBA. And then I asked, how many other people did you come across for the, the couple teams you played for were also interested? How many people were, were, did you jive with this on? He said zero. He said zero. And in a way, it's, I feel like there's an opportunity there for, for what you're doing. I'm not, because 
being able to be in not just commercial real estate, but how all these things apply, how how the math, how the science, how all the workings behind just to have that curiosity and to be able to connect people with people that can take that the next step. I feel like that's a it's a big part of what you're doing. Absolutely. And I may know, I don't know, I know a person, an NBA, former NBA player, Josh Childress, and that may be who you're speaking with. It may not have been, but Josh is in commercial uh, real estate. So it's probably somebody else, baby, I should, I should put you in touch with. You know, big time Stanford guy, played in the league, then went and played overseas and then came back and uh, started his own firm. And he's been making these investments in sports specific kind of stuff at first. I think that is kind of his bent. Like they can. Yeah, uh, no, that, that's him. Yeah, yeah, that's him. yeah, yeah. So that's so that's you know we talked because we I met him at the Los Angeles Sports Innovation Conference last year. We sponsored a panel. He was there. Ron Artest was on that panel. Um, oh, interesting. Oh yeah, and then there's uh, I'm blanking on there's the big time baseball player, and so you get there. Um, Adrian um, Adrian Gonzalez uh, was on that panel too and we also had a women's former women's uh, national soccer player um on there and they were all had made this shift into entrepreneurship and so you get you know more and more it's happening ron artest made himself sick like ron artest was like in serious condition and he was like i was coding because i lost my coder and i was coding trying to get this app up. <laughs> like you know that commitment that discipline was there of course kobe was headed towards something really, really big. We know what LeBron does. And there's so many other things athletes are doing that we're unaware of. We have local athletes here. Calvin Beecham is doing really big things. Um, you know, we've got a tons of athletes in this space. In fact, right, our goal when you talk about athletes is how do we, it's exposing them as early as possible too, right? We call it athlete identity foreclosure to use a real estate term. And that idea that athletes, they get into it and then they foreclose on every other identity but athlete. And that's prevents them from thinking ahead and being able to move towards being prepared. And so that's one of our goals. We have a beach, uh, beach volleyball player here, a student athlete who had an idea. She said there was no volleyball lifestyle brand. She had that idea in high school, NIL hits. We are doing regularly, a few times a year, we go into athletics and talk to them about entrepreneurship and innovation. She jumps right on it. Man, she's through pitch competitions. She's earned probably somewhere around sixteen to 20000 in just a year and a half. Hmm. She now has licensing deals with nine universities across the country. She has a merchandising deal so that she can sell it in a bookstore they really are the, the the ones who run bookstores across many campuses, Follett. And now she's getting an NIL deal for being a young woman entrepreneur. And she's giving out NIL deals to student athletes to wear her clothing. And so Kate Fitzgerald is like going to be a huge giant. And we were able to, you know, just talk to her about it, give her a space for her to see how she could do it. Our head of entrepreneurship and innovation, Jeff Kanowski, who was a entrepreneur as a as an ASU student back in the day and sold something to the sun, sold it to Panda. Like you have these amazing stories and we've been able to now move it to athletes as well and go, here is how athletes can do it. So we're doing, as you say, we want to get to them as early as possible. So the kids have to learn and think about sports entrepreneurship and innovation. We're working with the Sun Devil athletes and young pros and then we're we're speaking to those tro- pros who are interested in you know their transition and trying to speak to them. And so, you know, Major League Soccer, we've gone and had conversations about trans or led uh, workshops around transitions and entrepreneurship and innovation. So you've got us nailed. That's exactly what we're trying to do: trying to hit it at these multiple levels and really push it. And the, all the broadest understanding that I. You know, the other part of revealing things is understanding this global sport piece. So the challenges to global sport, to the industry, is also that framework that I'm trying to get kids to understand. Much like you understand the way the economy is going to impact your commercial real estate, I'm saying to them, you got to look at governance. You got to look at civil justice because that stuff is what, when you look at Olympic Games and who comes and who doesn't, Ukraine and Russia, like, 
Civil justice is something you got to look at. Sustainability is something you got to look at. You know, of course, the actual participants and getting crowds. Like these are the levels that now I'm pushing students, kids to understand sport in. Well, so, so as part of that exposure, there's there's one level of it and shining a light on it, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So if you have someone says, "Hey, here's a avenue that you could that you could research," or, or "Here's something that you should be aware of," and you filled in a couple of those things, but also showing them that it is attainable, not just showing somebody that, Oh yeah, this exists. That's one thing, but also here are a couple tangible steps that you can take. And if you just take steps A, B and C, it will likely, or it could take you further than you might anticipate. And I feel like you showing that in real time is pretty powerful stuff. It is. It's been it's been phenomenal to create more and more partnerships. We have a partnership with a group called Pro Sport Assembly, and these are like manager super. Well, they're more they they're C suite, you know, director level and above throughout all sports. And so it's all it's domestic, but you're looking at the NFL. You know, multiple teams with their with some of their staff are, are, are coming. Um, you know. NBA, WNBA, uh, XFL, Ultra, you know, USA Frisbee, WWE, like all of them are having people that are a part of this assembly. And that's also one of the hopes, right, is to be able to have set up internships, create these bridges. I want a pipeline to university, right? We're giving you a hoop dream. Now you think you want to be a sports analyst. You know where you're going. There are actually jobs for kids out of high school, if they have a, you know, there's a course or two, I could even give people resources on it, but there's high school programs for kids to learn sports analytics. And there are kids who have gotten jobs as sports analysts actually got paid in college. They were, they, I've heard people refer to it as scholarships because you go work for the football team or baseball or basketball. And some of them have gone on and now in the W or in the, the men's NBA. So they're in the NBA's sports analysts, but they started in high school through a course, wrote it through college, and there they are. And so I look at those and say, I want my program to do the same thing. Help kids focus on what they want to do in college. You know, Give them that picture so they know what they're striving for. That to me is the power of the hoop dream, right? Is we knew that it was a college scholarship. You could see that kids actually got it. Then you're seeing their signings. You could see them playing in the EYBL. I want to make this thing, as you've been highlighting, as transparent as possible. I want them to see it and know the steps. So one of the things that, wow, this is, I haven't thought about this in a while, but I remember the first time I saw Rashid Wallace in person, and I must have been in eighth grade maybe, and I remember where we were. I remember we were in Gustine Lake, uh, and they were getting finished their practice because he was one like the older Sunday, Sunday League, Sunny Hill uh, team. Yeah. And I remember seeing him and being like, oh, yeah, I'm not that, <laughs> right? Like, because I had hoop dreams. But then you see people and you go, oh, yeah, okay, that's what that's what an NBA player looks like. I mean, he was, wasn't was an NBA yet, but you're like, oh, that's what it looks like. Like, those are the people. And then, you know, there are other – and I still had my dream. I still, had, still pushed it, still, still wanted to play and compete. But, you know, as time went on, it's like, yeah, I love basketball. I love these things. But you start to see – who the people are that are going to be transformed. I think it's a little skewed in Philadelphia because, you know, you see Rashid Wallace, you see Kobe, you see, you know, Russell Butler. I remember, and Eddie Griffin was younger than me, um, you know, rest in peace. But I remember being a senior in high school and he was like a sophomore and looking at him like, yeah, I'm not that. <laughs> I'm not, right. yeah. And, uh, but, you know, if I had known at that time that like all the different avenues that would develop, maybe, maybe I would have looked at things differently. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm happy with my life, fulfilled. But, you know, I think what you're doing is good. It, it just gives people more options to be curious and, and, and fulfill that, uh, their goals. Yeah. And, and I'd say to you, commercial real estate is big in the youth space now, right? So, like, yeah. you know, youth sport tourism going to all these tournaments, you're seeing more and more facilities being built that are multi-purpose. And they've got, you know, this whole big dream of we're going to take all the sports, run all the youth sports programs through this, and they're going to make money. I mean, you've got big, you've got corporations that are now really entering the space. 
You have high techs, team snap, league apps, software companies that are entering this space. You've got private equity starting to buy up things like it's really going to push. So commercial real estate's right in there. Commercial real estate, like Josh Children's talking about, even maybe building facilities for conferences. Like that's mm-hmm. now becoming a part of that discussion. So commercial real estate's there, man. Yeah, no, it's all, you know, the more you you see about how all these things are intertwined, they all, they all connect yeah. in different ways. And as far as even a kid going to go into one of these facilities, having that conversation that they're, you know, they're focused on, you know, whatever's on TikTok or whatever, whatever song they're listening to, but to have those conversations, who, who owns this place? Or how did how did this get put together? Who was involved in making the decision to put it here? Who's it? And then making them realize like there's people that are making money on along every step of this way. And if you know you can raise that awareness, then you know I think you're you're helping people along their path. That's right. That's simple right. as simple as asking those those type of questions. That's it. That's it. That's that's what we're hoping. We just want to help kids find that dream gig, man, and, and get on their path. Yeah. So also the thing that I'm so happy to have you on this, on the show, because I had a, a guest come on, I was like, who's, who's the audience. And one of the things that I'm, I really, my journey and my career, my life has taken me a lot of different places and I've, you know, dipped my toe in this pool or gone over here and done this, done that. But I've met some fantastic people that are doing some interesting things. And while most people Think of me of technology and real estate. I wanted to bring people like you involved because I see the things that you're doing, and I think it's a benefit to everybody to share that. Um, and you know, my my other friend who I got to introduce you to helps coach with the uh, the local professional rugby team in San Diego. I just I just know all of these great people doing fantastic things, and I'm like I, I want to find out more personally but also share your story with the world. So I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your journey. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm going to invite you on my coach's Zoom. You'll see some people and names that you recognize, and we always have, have a blast. Having Rashid on was a blast. Having Kyle on and his mother comes on and is cursing coaches out for not believing in Kyle. And, you know, man, <laughs> it's, it's a great thing to, to, to bring in a Sunny Hill alum, man. It just lets you, let you talk about the amazing things you're doing I remember now, once you were talking about it, I remember hearing about your coaching. And I, and so, you know, that's the, the, the basketball never leaves you. And particularly when you're a Philly person, people don't always understand that. But in Philly, basketball is, I mean, we have other sports, obvious, baseball, hockey, the Eagles, of course. But basketball is in the blood of a lot of Philadelphians, man. And I know it's helped you. So I was watching the, uh, you know, you mentioned Kyle Lowry. I, we were watching... My son, who's nine years old, we're, we're watching uh, the, the Heat Nuggets finals. And there's a game and Kyle Lowry took a shot. And my nine-year-old son was like, oh, that was a wild shot. And I was like, it's Philly Cats. We're always open. We're always open. <laughs> That's it. Always open. The confidence, man. Philly guards, man. That's special. <laughs> yeah. So it's fun to share that with, with my son, who's uh, all he knows is San Diego. So he's right. like, oh, okay. And I see him nod next to me on the on the couch. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. You got to take your son back to – if he plays football – I mean, basketball, if your daughter plays basketball, I'll tell you to take them back. I took my sons to have Philadelphia summer of basketball, and it changed my oldest son's – trajectory like you know there's yeah. nothing like learning how to play in philly because you know they don't take any prisoners no nope. <laughs> no prisoners no it's fun and, and you know some of the lessons i've learned that I, again i carry carry with me um every step of the way the rest of my journey yeah absolutely yeah. pleasure thanks for having me on dustin and it'd be absolutely. Nice to stay so, connected so, so be, before before we go is there is there anything you want to share with the listeners and i'll include it in the show notes um, how to connect with you, how to, how to follow what you're doing, um, anything you want to share? I think for me, it really is, you know, I, I'll reiterate, I'm, the, the dream is to help people get the most out of sport. And it doesn't matter where they are, whether that's the, the athlete, they're just somebody who's interested in sneakers, you know, or they actually want to own something someday. Um, there's really a lot of opportunities there. And, you know, there's there's ways of figuring it out, as Dustin says, as you said, just you know, asking the questions, but look us up, globalsport.asu.edu, you know, Dr. Scott Brooks, follow, follow me there. 
Um, and you know, if there's any way in which someone I can help someone, just have them, you know, just reach out. Right. I'm happy to, to, to respond and get back talking and, and especially speaking with young folks about the opportunities. It's, it's what I live for. Fantastic. Thank you, Scott. Pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the tools, talents, and techniques podcast. We hope you found the conversation insightful and engaging. And if you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to like subscribe and share the podcast with your network by subscribing. You'll never miss an episode as we continue to bring you inspiring discussions with industry leaders and pioneers. Stay connected to the latest insights, trends, and strategies across various fields from business and entrepreneurship to technology and innovation. Your support is vital in helping us reach more listeners and expand our community. So don't forget to leave a review and share your feedback. We appreciate your input and are committed to delivering valuable content that empowers and inspires. To stay updated on future episodes, be sure to follow us on either LinkedIn or our website, suttonrea.com. You can also find us on most podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Thank you for being part of the Tools, Talents, and Techniques community. We look forward to bringing you more engaging conversations and valuable insights in the future. Until then, keep exploring, learning, and applying these tools, talents, and techniques to achieve your own success.